Welcome to Australian Transformers Weekly. We're bringing you Transformers news from around the world with Australian accents. And this week, we will be talking about the new Netflix series. It's going to be a spoiler-filled spoiler filled discussion. So if you haven't watched War for Cybertron on Netflix, you've got about 20 seconds while the opening credits to the podcast run to go and do it. All that coming up after this. Welcome to the show. I am Jason coming to you from Sydney. We have joining us this week to discuss the uh, discuss the the six episodes that have dropped on Netflix just late this week, actually. Uh, we have Daria coming to us from Canberra. How are you going, Gar- How are you going, Daria? It's been a while since Hi. we've seen you on. Yeah, it's good to be here. A bit colder yeah. I am, but those watching the video can see I've got my hat and my scarf and things on, but we're doing good. <laughs> Canberra is uh, Canberra is regularly about uh, I believe like five to five to somewhere between ten degrees colder than Sydney. What, what temperature have you got there tonight? Three, three. Uh, yeah, more wonderful. Like ten to fifteen degrees. But yeah, wow, oh, that's from, that's bloody cold. Max, how are you doing over there in Adelaide? What's the temperature there? It's currently thirteen degrees. So oh, I love the fact I love the fact oh, that we all ahead. know the temperature where where we are. This is great. This is going well. Well, you just got to keep abreast of these things. No, so I'm enjoying uh, just wearing my T-shirt while Daria can freeze to death over in Canberra. <laughs> I I've got I've gone sort of I've gone in the middle. I've got I've got myself a long sleeve T-shirt on um, for the for the discussion. Uh, what temperature is it with you where you are, Jason? Uh, it is a real good question. It's, it's about twelve. It's about twelve. It's actually we you know it might be a little bit higher than that actually, but. Sydney had an absolutely stunning day today. Uh, in fact, it's 14, according to my phone. Day thir- 12, 13, 14. Google's location is always slightly off. It doesn't necessarily know exactly where I am. It thinks I'm a couple of suburbs over. So, you know, there we go. I'm trying to figure out if Max is frozen. No, no. I was frozen for a second. Indeed. Um, yeah. So my thing was just lagging, so I changed the direction. All right, all right. <laughs> it's good. It's good. We do this. We do this live, and um, look, it didn't actually drop you out of the show. So yeah, once, all right. Yeah. So let's let's get, let's get let's get right into it. Okay. So uh, the the much anticipated, whether whether feared or or welcomed, uh, new Transformers show, War for Cybertron Part One, Siege, named just like the toy line from last year, has. Finally, dropped on Netflix. It was slightly delayed. It was meant to premiere a couple of months ago, but uh, here we go. July thirty came around. Uh, we had a little bit of a little little gathering at my place to to um, consume all six episodes on Thursday night. We um, we gathered round and socially distanced ourselves in front of the television. So when I say little gathering, it was a little gathering. Um, and yeah, so we we consumed all six episodes. Uh, how how have you guys consumed them? Did you watch them all in one sitting or uh, space it out a bit. Oh yeah, I touched Beast yeah. it on Thursday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just blasted for it all last night. Excellent. All right. And that's the only um, way to watch anything that's on Netflix. 
Well, so it's a it's a slightly shorter show than I would have anticipated for. Um, I think it's been about two years we've been we've been hearing that it's in production because I think we heard that it was coming to Netflix when they announced that Siege was going to be the first um, the first upcoming upcoming uh, wave of the War for Cybertron Online, and then nothing happened last year, and now this year we're well into Earthrise and we're getting Siege, which does echo what happened with the uh, Machinima mm. series. Um, and after all of that, only getting six episodes. Although they're t- they're twenty five minute episodes, so they're more traditional style um, traditional style episode lengths rather than the the ten minutes or so we got for uh, Machinima series. And I like I keep calling to mind Machinima because um, there's a lot of the same people working on this show than uh, as those who worked on the uh, on the Machinima series. Production has been taken over by Rooster Teeth because Machinima's gone. Um, they acquired most of their assets though. And uh, the uh, producer, the executive producer, um, FJ DeSanto, is uh, the same guy who I, did, I kind of dislike the fact that he's been uh, named a Transformers veteran for working on two of the Machinima series. But, um, <laughs> for working you know, on we'll, two of the most maligned Transformers series, too. Yeah, no, like if you're gonna, if you're gonna call someone a veteran, then like the only person that I think should actually be uh, be a veteran is probably one of the comic book writers. Uh, you know, like someone like someone like Simon Furman, like him or hate him. Um, you know, he's probably one of the few people who actually earns the right to be called a veteran. You know what? Michael Bay might earn the right to be called a Transformers yeah. veteran because he's worked on the show for on the thing for like ten years. Um, well, maybe you have to sort of you'd have to call him a veteran then because like I feel like the rite of passage for Transformers is. Will the fans relentlessly dunk on whatever you've created? And the answer is yes. So you could probably call him a veteran in that sense. Yeah. Stop pre- stop previewing the rest of the show, Max. What? <laughs> in which, oh, we, no, rela- I, in which I, we relentlessly I, dunk on War for Cybertron. <laughs> I was more talking about the uh, Prime Wars trilogy. No, that's fair enough too. Um, I've got now, things to say here. So let's let's talk about War for Cybertron. Um, really, really, really quick. Take a pulse of the room. Give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Daria. Up. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs mm-hmm. up. Max. One thumb uh, up. I'll, one. I'll, 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 I'll give it a enthusiastic thumb. one. Yeah, no, I'll give it a thumb up as well. I think it I think it I think I think it it brought a little bit of happiness to the world. It um it frustrated in a number of ways, but um I think by and large, by and large, there were more positives than negatives in the show. Yeah, that, that's where I am. And I went with did I enjoy it or not? Yes, I did. So that gets the thumbs, yeah. Yeah, it's it's I, not perfect. I'm not going to say there's no problems or there's nothing I didn't like about it, but I, I didn't sit there at the end going, "That's two and a half hours of my life I'm not going to get back." So yeah, win. And uh, that was the last Michael Bay film. Three and a half hours, you're never going to get back, right? <laughs> well, only two for me because I slept through an hour and a half and didn't really notice. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, so we've got we've got a few we've got a few bullet points to talk about as we sort of take a, a whistle stop tour around the series um six episodes did it feel long enough or too short it earlier on it felt long enough like the first couple episodes were really nicely paced um and like from right from the get-go that was one thing that stood out to me above the Wars trilogy was the pacing felt a lot more natural and it carried that way basically through the entire series until you get to episode six. And on a, for a series which I actually quite liked, six just felt like them throwing everything at the wall all at once. And what was quite reasonably paced, just all of a sudden they're going to wrap up everything at once and you can't keep a track of what's going on. 
Yeah, I agree. Pacing, pacing I don't know if they been criticised. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know if they needed a seventh episode or if they just needed to draw some stuff back out of six into like five or four, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Well, a lot of the stuff in six was oh, we've got to move these characters between locations, and we've also got to introduce these new characters, etc. And it's kind of just it. You're right when you say it is the sort of stuff where it could easily have just been shifted earlier, so you got time to actually process what's going on. So I, ha I have a slightly different take on this. Um, the so our, our group while we were watching the show, uh, one of the things that one of the things that came out out of the, out of the production is that uh, everyone spoke really slowly. Yeah, that's where I was going to go next. And it I, wasn't the story pacing I didn't find slow, but especially the first episode I found literally slow speaking and moving and i think the latter they were trying to go with oh these are gigantic metal beings they move slowly they're such colossuses but when you're dealing with transformers you don't work with that because the transformers are the people characters so as far as we're concerned they should just move normally and i, I noticed a trend and i don't know if this was indicating anything or just me just a coincidence. It seems that the 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 longer a character had been, the older a character was, like in terms of the franchise, had been how much they've been used. That they seem to be the slower ones, because you you watch Optimus Prime talking to Alita One, and he's talking slow and moving slow, and Alita's almost talking like a regular person. Well, because yeah. she's got fewer Alita one baggage to live up to possibly um i guess where i was going with that was in terms of in terms of number of episodes i i found the i found the delivery of lines often quite and quite self-indulgent and I, I felt like the show just needed a script editor to tighten things up and then maybe six episodes might not have felt like such a rush um i think there's a lot of wasted time in a lot of the earlier episodes with sort of you know sort of panning back and forth and characters characters talking to each other instead of doing things um i did find I, I found that the battles i thought were i thought the battles were pretty good um there was there's a you know a bit of bit of carnage and the things there's lots of explosions lots of smoke that sort of uh, went around this all the explosions and the smoke was pretty well animated but um yeah no i just felt that i, I just felt that if they'd tightened up some of the things that um took a long time in the show, a lot of the things that took a long time didn't need to take such a long time. Like someone would someone would mention a concept or, or something, and another person would then refer to that concept in the next sentence. And it's like people don't people don't speak that way. Um, people will acknowledge what you've said without necessarily repeating it, unless you're one of those people who's um, you know done uh, you know uh, done some some coaching to try to like, you know, gain empathy with people. You know, if you're a hostage negotiator, perhaps you might. There's a whole bunch that. of active listening coaches on Cybertron. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, no, I think there's a whole bunch of active listening coaches on the writing team. And mm. I think, I think what they've, I think they've sort of lost the, they've lost the art of actually writing dialogue that flows properly. This is actually something that we saw happen in the Machinima series as well. And like, I think really what what part of the problem is probably that they probably didn't have the the voice talent actually recording next to each other in the studio. They probably recorded them separately. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Like it's not a it's not a 
doesn't seem like a big budget production in the same sense as a lot of other animated things would be. So, I mean, obviously we, we don't know that for certain, but. Well, we, we, we do, we do know that for, we do know that pretty well because we know that it wasn't a union production because we know that um, we know that Welker and Cullen were not involved because it wasn't a union production. If it was actually a union production, they would have been able to get the two of them. There we go. Um, so, like, well, I guess I, I mentioned that just in terms of in terms of budget. I think in ter- I think speaking in terms of budget, um, they got Polygon Polygon back to do the animation. Polygon was last seen doing. Uh, I think they did. I think they did. Well, so they definitely did Transformers Prime. Was Polygon actually involved in R.I.D. 2015? I, th- I have a feeling they actually were. I'm not sure. Hmm. We'd, have to, we'd have to check that. It's, very, it's a very different animation style. But um, what, what do you think of the, the design, the characters, um, the setting? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of sort of debris and uh, destroyed environments hanging around on Cybertron. And the characters themselves look quite lived in. We've got a, we've got a picture of Bumblebee up on screen at the moment and like the texturing on him is really impressive it actually i remember several points during the show looking at the looking at the characters and thinking that the show actually looks like a, a Livio ramondelli comic come yeah. to life there's, yeah. so much, there's so much texturing on these on these characters um what what, what did you th- what did you think of the look of first of all the characters and then second of all the environments um Max. i thought the animation was just detroit like that's probably the biggest standout thing from the show for me is it's just very, it's visually pleasing to look at and watch. Um, not just, you know, the action sequences where I thought, where they struggled a lot in Prime Wars, they were really nicely done here and it flowed well, the visual effects were nice. But like you referred to, just the art style of everything, you know, for something that is just basically G1, there was this quality to it that I can't really put my finger on. It probably is just the darkness and the texturing of it, but it doesn't... It's got this real dark... Um, yeah, it's a dark visual tone, but it doesn't feel overbearing. It doesn't feel like they're trying to, you know, make it feel all morose and grimy and edgy. It just feels like... like it feels real. It feels like a lived-in world. <clears throat> I, I, I feel... I feel... Like I understand what you're getting at by saying it feels like a lived-in world, but so on, on one of the shots we've got on screen here is um, I think this was actually this was actually one of the shots during the um, the virus that, uh, yeah. that Megatron Megatron was using to uh, knock out the Autobot systems. Um, what the problem that I end up with thinking about this as a lived-in world is like you didn't see that city go as you know off off into the distance as far as the eye can see, but we still only have like. 10 or 15 characters and so where are all where are all of the transformers making their way around these cities like there are lights on on those buildings even though as i as i look at the building in the foreground i can see the repeating texture of of the lights as you look down as you look down the building (laughs) there are but like, like that's that's fine this is a split second shot um you, you see these kinds of you see these kinds of cheats in all sorts of animation. It's just it's funny when it's a it's it still right in front of you. Um, but the, this is one of the big problems that I have with the show is that these these cities don't these cities look like they've been lived in, but they look like they're empty now, even though all the lights are still on. 
Um, is that is that something that you've noticed too, Daria? I got a bit. Of, I got it a bit both ways. I mean, it's an ongoing problem with CGI at the moment that it takes resources, money to make characters, and so there's not so often there's far fewer than the story would suggest. There are some parts though where I thought the lack of characters lent to the idea of how screwed up Cybertron, or at least a part of Cybertron where in was. It's a lot of portrayals of Cybertron, it doesn't look any different in wartime or peacetime or nothing time. This looks like it's actively getting blown up and messed up and no one's having time to fix anything up because they're too busy dying or trying to make other robots die. But yeah, there is a lot of sort of telling us this is a big planet-wide war. And there's, especially because there's not sort of a throwaway line of, you know, oh, but uh, it comes down to we half a dozen Autobots Decepticons right here, right now. So you do end up with this where is everybody thing, even, even when you're in the fields of repaints, which is its own issue. And well, well, let's, let's, about let's how talk well about that works. Let's talk about repaints as well. Um, so I think the only characters that didn't see a repaint were Optimus, Megatron, and Jetfire. Everyone else copped a repaint, several of them. And it in in some cases it led in some cases it lent itself into sort of how Netflix has presented repaints in the toy line and and the others, the the repaints that we've got in the toy line were completely absent from the screen. There's they're they're obviously working with a few base models and sort of duplicating them and changing their colors which um the the group that i watched it with on on thursday we sort of we sort of led led that to sort of say to us that um transformers tend to come off an assembly line and so they they might share body types uh that doesn't necessarily make them doesn't necessarily make them related but you might have uh you know a sports car transformer that um you know ends ends up painted red and becomes sideswipe or you might have one that ends up painted blue and um you know does does something else he might end up being a decepticon there's there's definite reuse of body types between and across i think there are cross factions as well but i i can't necessarily tell but um one of the one of the spots one of the scenes in ratchet's uh ratchet's med bay there were three blue sideswipes in the one pan across shot and so we are like we are dealing with a we are dealing with a, a decent number of sort of base base models for them to work with. Like there's there's what have we got? We got there's a, a seeker, there's um, there's hound, there's sideswipe, there's mirage, um, there's a lot and there's, of cogs. there's 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 a, there's, a, there's a lot of cogs. Uh, although I think most of the cogs were on the Autobot side actually, weren't they? I can't. I, think I, can't, so. I don't. I, can't I don't actually recall seeing any. On different any of them cross factions. Maybe, maybe you're right. I, I, so refractor. I think all the refractors that we saw were definitely on the Decepticon side. There was sort of the, the army troops. Uh, there's definitely no what about seekers, but I I, I I guess with sideswipe I can't really tell. But yeah, maybe maybe that maybe it is less about them sort of um, rolling off an assembly line and choosing a faction. But even so, um, well, they talked about the Autobots and Decepticons as races within the show mm -hmm. which makes you think like it's a pre it could be a predetermined thing 
which is not something we've really seen before. You know, like Gen- Jetfire explicitly says that to kill the Autobots is the genocide of a race, not wiping out an enemy faction. Mm, and Starscream gets in on that by saying, even if even if they we convert this their programming to our cause they're they're not going to be real decepticons they're gonna oh he that they're, they're gonna pollute the, the yeah he talks about like pool. a eugenics type of thing yeah i i have a i have a question that i want to put to you about this is that just someone who's seeing what's going on in the world around us at the moment trying to make it make the uh, make the cartoon show seem topical and possibly not really understanding the nuances of what they're writing about is it seems it seems a bit clumsy and it seems like the it seems like it's just sort of shoving in race in there as a reason to talk about sort of differences between these guys when they're clearly they're clearly the same the same race on on this planet but um, maybe just not understanding you know how they should be how they should really discuss it. Yeah, well, especially considering that they they reference the backstory of the IDW Decepticons and that universe within this show, but you know, and they turn it into a fundamentally they base the conflict in the show off of these conflicting ideologies about how the world should operate, but then in they sort of throw that out the window and say, oh, actually, it's a race thing now. Right. Yeah, that's, what, that's, why, that's why I think it's they're different as opposed to what, they want to kill each other because they think differently. Yeah, that, that's, that's why I think it's this, clumsy. Yeah, they've touched on it in some other media before, but they've never they've never really discussed it as a racial divide in those words. I think the closest we've had is talk of genetics in Regeneration 1. And, in fact, that had a similar thing that you could – use ex- external means to switch someone from Autobot to Decepticon. So. I think in Energon, they did that explicitly too, but Energon was awful. So you well, can't yeah, and, <laughs> really want to well, make that comparison. Even apart from its this awfulness, it's Energon. hard to tell what they're talking about most of the time. Yeah, exactly. So whereas this is overall, over, I, I do like the show, but it has these weird little aspects like that. So it is, it is interesting. It is one of the central plot points that um, Megatron desires to find the AllSpark, the, the the sort of core of all life on Cybertron, in order to win his war with the Autobots. He's going to use the AllSpark to reformat, forcibly reformat all of the remaining Autobots as Decepticons, uh, which of course means that the Autobots need to find the AllSpark so that they can control it and that doesn't happen, and thus plot and conflict occurs. And... I, I feel I feel like ultimately, if you if you sort of take a fifty foot view of the of the show, ultimately it became a hunt or it became a quest show, uh, which sort of was it ended up fairly straightforward. You the after umming and ahhing with each other for a while, um, the Autobots went to the Sea of Rust, found the Allspark, and um, then sent it off world via a space bridge that they had found in. I think we had sort of assumed that they would carry it off world with the uh, on, on board the Ark. But uh, instead, uh, nope, they, they chucked it through the portal and now have to go and get it. Now, like, for considering, considering it was six episodes on that, there's quite a few diversions along the way as um, 
as someone in our group called it, we had um, we had Mad Max Cybertron Road uh, along the way as everyone went into the Sea of Rust. <laughs> it, it, it literally was like Mad Max. Um, and, of course, we had the possibly the most... The, the 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 presence of the presence of certain characters drew cheers about the room, and uh, I got to say, the presence of this one character drew a massive cheer in the room and a few oh my god moments. Um, we had Sound Blaster as well. What a, yeah, what, a what, what, what a surprise that Sound Blaster turned up in the show. What a surprise that Sound Blaster had more of an active role than you know all these other characters that sort of but major characters that sort of get relegated to a side appearance too. I mean, I'm not complaining. It was just, it was just a bit funny. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, it seemed funny. Um, I'm pretty sure he was only there for the one episode because at the, at, at the start of episode six, they were escaping from sound blasters lair with um, an arm full of energon. But yeah. Um, the other, the other character, that, the other character that I think had the greatest impact on things in, in the show was probably ratchet. And, um, considering that no one was able to locate, uh, or, or, yeah, I say no one, but considering that a lot of people were unable to locate Siege Ratchet, and Ratchet has now been such a major component of this show, I feel like there's going to be a lot of people looking for him. There might be a lot of people settling for the Earthrise version of him instead of the Siege version. Um, but also, it strikes me that Ratchet, out of everyone in the show, is the only one who actually has a clue how to make Cybertron work between the Autobots and the Decepticons. Um, he goes out, he picks up anyone who's damaged off the battlefield, and he fixes them up with the caveat that they have to help him fix others, whether they're Autobots or Decepticons. And I thought that, I thought that was a really good spin on the character. I, I, I do think there were certain characters who actually did get, um, did get good spins on them in the show. Um, Ratchet, Ratchet was one, and I actually really liked what they what they ended up doing with Bumblebee's character as well. Um, they gave him an interesting backstory because he he was uh, an Energon scavenger instead of an Autobot, and he was an un, an unwilling Autobot as well. Mm. Um, which also is funny as, as we we mentioned earlier the design of the characters. Um, I will just point out at this point that they made such a big deal out of using the, the CAD designs for the toys. Um, but then one of their major characters did not have a toy. Uh, and so Bumblebee is not really based on Cliffjumper. He does not look a thing like the Cliffjumper toy from, from Earthrise. Neither, so he's he's their own character. And neither did Cliffjumper, if I recall correctly. So Cliffjumper, despite having a toy in Earthrise, was literally just a recolor of Bumblebee here. Which is kind of a so I, I've been thinking about this, right? So we don't know what Bumblebee looks like in Siege because there's no Bumblebee Siege toy. When Bumblebee arrives in the Netflix line, he's an he's an Earth-based VW-based figure. So so essentially, that makes Bumblebee Earthrise. We don't know what Bumblebee looks like in Siege, which means we also don't really know what Cliffjumper looks like in Siege on his Cybertronian mode. So the fact that they're both technically off-model is kind of okay. I, I thought Cliffjumper would end up being Bumblebee's brother or something, but no. Go on, Max. There, yeah, and I think there were a couple of others, like, you know, RC was one, but I think there's a pattern of it was just the characters who are only present in Earthrise and not Siege were the ones yeah. that they didn't use the CAD models for. So. Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah. Um, while we are still sort of, we, we, we've, we've talked a little bit about design but um, and we've sort of moved on to a couple of plot points, but let's just come back to design for me because, again, I've got Bumblebee up on screen there. Um, let's, talk about, let's talk about mouths and lips. <clears throat> and also, let's not just talk about mouths and lips, but let's talk about shaky, uh, shaky wobbly, wobbly waistlines. Um, <laughs> Optimus, Prime's yeah, hips don't, Optimus Prime's hips don't lie, after all. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, well, what did you guys make of some of the choices that they made in terms of animating, animating mouths and animating other body parts? I felt like you, I could deal with uh, the stuff around the waist specifically. Like, obviously, if the joint isn't there on the toy, then you make it work on the animation model. But it was, it wasn't so much that there were joints moving where they weren't on the toy itself. It was that like, there's this huge exaggerated motions on the hips of every single character. Hmm. Yeah, I, so I thought I, I thought it was more noticeable with Prime though, uh, and to a lesser extent Megatron later in the show. But mostly, mostly Prime was the one that it, it was just really, really obvious. It was like as Prime was walking along. Like there were, there was like just textures compressing and stuff. It, it felt as if they'd taken a, they'd taken a rotoscope of a, an actor walking and applied it to their, applied it to their prime model, and hadn't really, they hadn't really paid too much attention to, to what it did. They just were like, yep, right, that that guy's animated and he's walking in that scene and, and it's done. Yeah, um, I think they were going for swagger because they did it so much to the leader characters, that. They should hold themselves so, but I don't think the final result was everything they were aiming for in that regard. No, I agree. I, I like. I would have preferred to see them actually just put a little bit of effort into actually just maybe making some panels move around around the the waist. And it doesn't matter if it's not on if it's not in the CAD model. Like you, you do have the freedom as animators to just you know modify the model a little bit. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I did find it. I pointed this out way back when when the first trailer came up, but um, I found it weird that they'd followed the CAD models so closely that the weapons ports and um, five mil pegs were still on the mm. characters. Um, someone someone in the in the Facebook discussion group actually said that um, you know maybe maybe we'll see a part of the show where like some either blast effects or or some weapons sort of come into play with those ports, and maybe there'll be a reason for them. No, there wasn't. Although there was a there was a, 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 a weaponizer gimmick with with Cog that they used several times. But um, yeah, no, I, I just I thought look, I don't, I, 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 don't, I found I found things weird about the way that they animated some of the characters. Some some of them were fine. I, I had this thought during the week um, when I saw. I saw a photo that Sixo put up of um, Earthrise Scorponok with a, a couple of other figures in front of him, and I thought, oh, you know what? That is the kind of thing that we've always sort of expected when we're when we're looking at our toys and when we're playing with our toys. In our heads, we've seen these big articulated characters, and they're able to pull off pose and stuff. And then I looked at the then I looked at the show again, and I thought, that's kind of what they're trying to give us. Like they are trying to, they are trying to give us uh, an animation of the toys that we have. It felt um, like Unicron trilogy animation, but done well. And the yeah, yeah. Kind of stuff. In, um, mm. Energon well, Unicron especially. trilogy had 
sorry, go on. I was going to say, Energon especially had you know this this case of them using using CAD models of the of the toys, um, but this is this is a similar thing done fifteen to twenty years later. Um, <laughs> excuse me, probably closer to fifteen years later, and you know with better textures and um, you know done by a different animation studio. But uh, like it feels to me like they really tried they really tried their best to actually give us. Um, an animated tale of the toys that we can go into the shop and buy. Daria. Yeah, I was just going to footnote the Unicron trilogy went so far as to a couple of characters even had their screws from the toys visible on screen. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that Unicron trilogy, yeah. Good, good on you guys. Uh, I, you know, I, I also wonder if, yeah, if it's exactly as you said that they – wanted to give an adventure in the toys and they thought if we veer too much from this then the further we go from that the further it is from these guys being the toys you can buy yeah i mean that's always been you know one of one of the things going back to g1 is that the characters on screen look nothing like the toys um i feel like i feel, well i feel like animated was one of the first times you could actually say that they really tried hard to copy the on-screen appearance um and i say that because that felt to me like they'd they'd animated the figures and then came up with toys based on it. Whereas with Energon, they obviously had the CAD model for the toys and just based the animation on it. Well, um, animated they did, uh, and I'm not sure if they've done this before or since. They actually worked on both at once together. Yes, they yeah. said, um, oh, "We want to put this in the toy. Can you put this in the animation?" Well, okay, we can't do this, but can you do it this way? Okay, we can put that on our one, and they'd feed back and forth and. I don't imagine there's been no collaboration since, but that was basically the first, from what I gather, and maybe the most, let's really work together so these things look as much like each other as possible and still look good. I feel, I feel like in the intervening years, the ability to actually animate complicated models on screen has has evolved to the point where they can actually go, oh, you know what, um, just make your toy and give us the CAD models and we'll make it work. Uh, which, you know, for the most part, they did. Um, I mentioned uh, I mentioned Ratchet being one of the sort of big characters and being hard to come by. There's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of remorse going around the community this weekend. I think uh, from people who did not pick up Jetfire last year because Jetfire is now really hard to come by. Uh, mm -hmm. And after having such a major role in the series, he's now sort of a toy that is on people's want lists. Yeah, I can understand that. I think if I, I think I'd be there too if I weren't so attached to my classics Jetfire, who presses all my Jetfire buttons for me. I actually think he, I actually like his design better than any of his subsequent incarnations, mm -hmm. including the Commander class one. I think, I think there's a bit of because classics, the original line actually called Classics, has kind of disappeared into the ether a bit now and jetfires had certainly bigger ones since then that it's that's also been a bit forgotten but it doesn't have stuff like the rotating symbol gimmick and things but it's it's got pretty much his jet mode it's got his arm you can even put his little helmet on if you want so yeah i think uh, it's underrated that figure and i'm not getting the i'm not getting the regret and not getting recent jet fire but i can see why lots of people would be because that was a pretty cool figure nonetheless 
Yeah, yeah, no, he, he was he was a he was probably one of the best figures of last year. Um, but yeah, but given that he was last year's figure and now he's featured prominently in the show this year, uh, it's yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Still, well, um, sorry, go on. No, go on. I say that's the ongoing thing. You talked about it before that they're kind of bringing all these shows out a year late. So this, if if you watch this and go, oh, I I want that impactor guy and I. I want a prime that looks like that with the big lights on top, and I want, I want this looking. Um, I want the seekers that look like this. And I want that big chunky jet fire. They're they're all, they're all last year's model, literally. So I mean, I guess the advantage here is that they are there are always re-releases coming out, um, mm. like the Netflix line, and then Takara is also doing a lot of stuff. Very good yeah, point. So, so Takara did announce this week that they are reissuing Siege Ratchet. Now, I say Takara is reissuing. I suspect that they never... Oh, actually, you know what? I think they did actually do Ratchet last year. I think some people did actually get Takara Ratchets last year. But, um, yeah, Takara's announced that they're, they're redoing Ratchet. Um, so if you did miss out on a Siege Ratchet, I believe he'll end up at Takara Tommy Mall exclusive. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you can order you can order him uh, through and there's a number of ways you can use sites like Bai or um, I personally prefer to use Treasure Japan. Um, they're nice and easy. You can email them and ask questions and they answer and it's it's lovely and they're lovely and polite. Um, so yeah, if you're after if you're after any of the Takara Tami Mall figures, um, yeah, there's a bunch of uh, services that you can use to get them. Though I, um, I do think they could stand to manage their lead time a bit better or try to, so <laughs> we're not having to have these conversations and the toys on screen and the toys on shelves are better overlapping? Well, so this actually does bring up an interesting question. Do you think it will be 12 months until we see the Earthrise animation, or do you think it might arrive sooner? Safely so, I've got no idea. I think I'd say sooner, but someone threw a pandemic, so that knocks true. everything for a loop. I know that for Power of the Primes, the last segment was much closer on the heels than the previous one had been. And I'd wonder if that would happen again, but because at least some of this is going to, well, a lot of this is stuff you can do with people working in their home labs or in their home studios or whatever, but it's still going to, I imagine, be a practical issue trying to make it as easily than when you have a, a literal animation studio at your beck and call. I yeah, I, I do think I do think the major the major hurdle in the production of the next one is actually just going to be you know the animation side of things, which yeah perhaps perhaps the perhaps Polygon's animators are working from home. We don't really know. Um, the voice actors, uh, I the voice actors, I don't think they've uh, got them together in a room for this one, so they probably won't for the next one because, like I said, someone threw a pandemic. So, like. You can still get someone to go into a recording studio and you know have producers and voice coaches there and and handle things for them. Um, I would actually be really interested to see. Um, uh, speaking of speaking of voice cast, we might we might we might sort of segue into some of the um, discussions of voice voices and acting. But I'd be interested to see whether or not the situation might change production wise for the second chapters, and maybe they will. Uh, end up as sort of a, a more union-based production, and they might bring in um, they might bring in Cullen. They did have Peter Cullen in chapters two and three of the Primals trilogy, although they didn't have Welker. Um, they had um, in part one they had John Bailey, 
doing a Peter Cullen impression. And I know you want to you want to talk about Peter Cullen impressions, uh, Daria. So we might we might segue into that. But um, here we had um, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, whether it's Fouché or Fouche, um, J J Fouche. Whatever his surname is, I don't really know. He might not come back in the next part. We'll see. Uh, doing a very, a very obvious, uh, doing a very obvious uh, Cullen gruff, gruff Cullen's <laughs> uh, voice for for Optimus Prime. Um, now, Daria, you you want I'm going to hand the floor to you. You wanted to talk about the colonization of Prime. Well, yeah, I think this is something that's gone from a tribute to kind of a problem, and it. <laughs> I'll lay down to start. I'm not saying Peter Cullen is a bad actor. I'm not saying he's never done a good prime. I'm not saying there are no good primes left for him to do. But he did a good... He, of course, just in case anyone's tuning in really late, he, of course, was Optimus Prime way back in the original cartoon series in the 1980s. And he did great. And everyone loved him. And they brought him back for Michael Bay movies. And... Uh, after a lot of fan pressure... I will yeah. point out that, yeah, initially they said, no, we're not going to get Peter Cullen. He's too old and we don't think his voice is there. And there was a lot of fan pressure and they went, all right, we'll bring Cullen in. We'll have a look and, and see whether his voice is up to it. And then they went, yeah, okay, we'll do it. So and initially initially they had no intention of bringing in Cullen. They didn't, didn't bring part. Welker. Well, they, they didn't bring Welker in. Hugo Weeding did um, Megatron for the first few movies. And then finally I think they brought Welker in to do Soundwave in Revenge of the Fallen. Um, and then they finally had uh, they finally gave Megatron to Welker in Age of Extinction. Yeah, and I think what happened to Optimus in this process is that it's it's not just the acting; it is partly the well, not partly it is also the writing and the the voice directing. Because looking broadly at the character, Optimus Prime in the original TV series, he was actually. Sure, he, he was stern and he was commandery, but he also had like this weird, dry sense of humor and things. Like, I remember his delicate lock picking technique and him trying to play basketball. And I think a lot of people who have written Prime since have not taken from that. They've taken from the 1986 movie. In the 1986 movie, Prime is serious and he is depressing and he is angry, but that's because of the circumstances he's in and part of which includes him dying. So it makes sense in context there, but it often feels like that's all of what they've taken as this is Optimus Prime and feel oh, yeah. that everything he has to do now has to be bold or angry and most explicitly profound. There's another podcast actually keeps a running tally of prime speeches in transformers prime and that's mm -hmm. kind of kicking into a kind of generation generational copying thing so that's what happens in 2007 movie when it comes back again in 2010 for transformers prime they look back to that and they do even more of that and of course there's further movies down the line and what this is also creating is that the idea that even though it wasn't so before that Sounding like Cullen is Optimus Prime, and no other character is really suffering from this, ex with the possible exception of Soundwave, who's kind of his own special oh, case. Oh, let, let's talk about Soundwave in a minute, but yeah. He's kind of his own special case in terms of, in terms of voice acting, but ev almost every Optimus since, with the most outlying welcome exception of Animated, has been doing Cullen Light or Cullen-like. I mean, John Bailey 
actually did fine. I just don't think he was given great material. At least that's how I how I feel. Uh, Jake Fushi in this one is doing gruff and Optimus Prime sounds like Peter Cullen and it's coming across like someone doing an impression of Peter Cullen who, and honestly, the Peter Cullen he's in doing an impression of is doing an impression of himself already and it's just coming down line. And this only affects Optimus Prime. If no one has watched this and say why, say rather, I know in this case they did because of the G1 connection, but no one's been watching the last few things and say why isn't Dan Gilbertson playing Bumblebee? Why isn't Michael Bell always playing Sideswipe? Why isn't, and so on. Optimus Prime is the one who always keeps getting the same voice and character back. And Bumblebee just led a series sounding nothing like Dan Gilverson, but played by Will Ferrell instead, and not betraying the character in the process because you can keep within the same broad scope of a character, which is a question across Transformers media anyway, without having to do an impression of the guy before you. The Wheeljack and this one, he didn't have the rasp that a lot of others do, but he did have that sort of semi-clever, occasionally snarky side thing, which made him seem like Wheeljack, even if his actual voice is different. And I think there needs to be more freedom to move with Optimus Prime, that not every iteration just has to sound like the same thing, digging further and further. And I think directing and writing is playing this and the, fun, I, the fundamental no, issues with the fan, right? <laughs> like, sorry, um, I'm just. Thinking, I don't think it's an issue with writing and directing necessarily, like because we see Prime in these various different iterations take on a different kind of character, right? Even within the recent iterations that all that have Peter Cullen within them, right? It's he's not the most consistent character across them. It's largely, it's often just like. Who's Optimus Prime? He's the guy in charge of the Autobots, and they go off from there, right? There's basically there isn't much that's consistent beyond that, um, and so the mm. issue in animated and voice stuff becomes that people aren't looking for a consistent characterization of Prime. Transformers fans are looking for Prime's characterization to be: is he voiced by Peter Cullen? And Bingo. if he's not, if Love he's it. not voiced by Peter Cullen, then they chuck a fit over it, mm. right? And they get they write a little antsy comments and what have you, and, you know, it colours their view of an entire series because this one character doesn't sound like what he sounded like 40 years ago. I, I, I feel like part of the problem is that um, when when people are writing these shows, they're writing them for Cullen's voice and they're expecting when Prime, when Prime says something that they think is profound in the script, then they expect, and in their in their mind, they hear it, in Cullen's voice. And so when they get someone to voice Prime, they want him to sound like Cullen. And I, I think there is, I think there definitely is room to move away from that. I just don't know if you can do that in a show where Prime very obviously looks like his G1 iteration. There is sort of expected to be that connection. Prime is the most iconic character out of the franchise. And so you expect him to sound the way that he does in G1. And I think I think the other characters. I think there's a little bit more, there's a little bit more room to move because people don't really remember their voices so much. I got to be honest. I could stand to cut that cord and have an, a G1 looking Optimus Prime start sounding different if it meant his character wasn't, as Max said, just becoming. What do I think? 
what do I think Peter Cullen sounds like? Yeah, I I, I agree. I think it's I, I think it's somewhat ex, somewhat explainable in this because we do have a uh, we do have a G one prime, and so that you know I expect I expect people sort of expect it to sound like sound like G one prime. Um, but he's also a very different kind of G one prime too. You know, he's not the same. He's not really like some other G one primes that we've seen before. But I actually think that I actually think Daria has Daria hit the nail on the head earlier when she said that the the animation prime from G1's cartoon series was a lot more jokey, a lot more laid back. Um, and I mean you could you could get that with a more youthful Peter Cullen's voice. Like um, I remember recently looking back at some of the G1 episodes and you know, Prime makes some really off-the-cuff remarks and uh, throws in a few throws in a few funny one-liners here and there, and um, that stuff is completely gone from the modern iterations of Prime. And yes, it is all based on the movie because that iteration of Prime, uh, that iteration of G One Prime, the movie Prime, has become the one that everyone follows because it's like his ult- it's like his it's his ultimate mode, it's his final form, right? Literally, because he dies in the movie. But um, so. Everyone tries to get their prime to say one shall stand, one shall fall. You know, it's always it's always falling back on some of these lines that you know sort of have have become these the, the lines that we all parrot onto each other until all are one and everything <laughs> like that. Um, and so, yeah, I I, I, th- I think people do try to make it sound more like movie prime than series prime, and everyone has ever ever since. In the Stasis Pod review of the movie, the '86 movie, they say, "Oh, if you didn't, if you didn't hear that line, don't worry, you'll pick it up many, many times over the next thirty years." Yes, it's true. Uh, let's move away from Prime and let's touch briefly on Soundwave. Um, Soundwave got uh, Soundwave got a, a visibly, a visible and an audible, uh, you know, reaction when he appeared on screen, and then very quickly had everyone go, "Oh God, what was that?" when he spoke. Um, the the computerized sort of vocoderish voice for Soundwave, uh, very much aping the Soundwave that we hear in G one, but completely off the reservation. I think um, I I did not enjoy that Soundwave voice at all. Um, what did you guys think? I didn't mind. Like people, I've seen a lot of people get upset about it, and or not necessarily upset, but just like you know, take issue with the fact that it's a bit different and. I was like, I don't have anything really good to say about it. You know, it wasn't a particularly amazing vocal performance, but it's just Soundwave was a fairly minor role. He was there largely just to deliver to deliver exposition within the show, um, and it was just it was a serviceable voice. So yeah, nothing really bad to say about it. Nothing really good to say about it. It was just, yep, that's Soundwave. To bo- yeah, to borrow another critic's words, it was so. Adequate. <laughs> um, was Soundwave actually voiced by someone and computerized, or was it actually a computer synthesized voice? Oh, I didn't check. I, 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 I must admit, I do not know. But I actually had pin, I, I had sort of pinned it as a synthesized voice um, while we were watching, but uh, I must admit, I don't know. I didn't check either, and I can't check without interrupting the feed. So. <laughs> Uh, let's let's just go with it sounded like it was uh, computer generated and if Soundwave was indeed uh, played by a human then that is probably a, a um, I don't know a compliment to them maybe so I thought with Soundblaster they did it 
they did at least make a job of this is someone who is stuck with a Soundwave kind of voice but isn't actually Soundwave inside. So not brilliant, I, but you could tell what they were doing. I, I, I So thinking back, I can't quite picture what Soundblaster's voice was other than the fact that I now feel like he was just a New York mob boss. Well, yeah, you, do, you, you kind of remember it in crime, crime movie voices get dubbed over. Yes, yes. Um, and so my, the, the lights in my room are doing weird things because I think my housemate has just frustratedly told Google to turn everything off. <laughs> um, so, sorry, I'll just turn my lights back on so that I can see things. Um, so um, I think by, by and large, a lot of us... A lot of us thought the ad, uh, the voice acting was, uh, as you as you so rightly put, Dara, very adequate. Um, but I don't feel like there were any particular standouts. Do, does anyone feel like anyone did a particularly good job of their uh, character? I thought Bum I thought Bumblebee was getting better as he was going along. Maybe the yeah, you know, I'll, 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 I'll give you that. Yeah, he did. Uh, Bumblebee had probably some of the most lines of anyone in the show, actually. Alita once, as I brushed on before, she did manage to sound more natural than her fellows around her. That's true. Alita one, Alita one. I think several times while watching the show, I was just like, "Oh yeah, Alita one is having none of your shit, Prime." I, um, Alita one, I think possibly was the one of the most realistic portrayals of a, of, a, of a transformer like there was actual nuance and emotion in her voice yeah um, that's yeah. right where i'm going with that yeah so yeah uh yeah a later one and uh perhaps bumblebee i thought i thought the maybe because of the maybe because i i enjoyed his role in the show but i thought ratchet uh ratchet was quite good as well um a lot of the others just sort of seemed a bit kind of throwaway to me um, I felt like uh, I felt like Omega Supreme. I could barely understand because they had so heavily processed the voice. Um, they could have done it. Omega Supreme sounded really young too. He didn't sound like he, he didn't sound like how you imagine Omega Supreme to sound. You know, he just mm. sound like a regular dude. Nothing particularly grandiose about him. He did sound huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, I think that was um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's um, yeah. There, there's there's a few things with uh with some of the characters that I just felt the, I felt their voice didn't match up to the scale of the character nor the the on screen actions of it, and I think that's sort of indicative of them recording the voice separately to the people who are producing the animation. So they didn't necessarily understand the nuances of the nuances that the voice actor had put into put into the voice. Um. There is, of course, the scene early on in uh, in the show in episode one, which attracts a lot of a lot of uh, guffaws and controversy, which is at the suggestion that they should kill Bumblebee because he might um, give away the location of their base. Prime's outburst that we are not the Decepticons. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people felt that that seemed quite sudden and um, quite overacted and uh, a bit a bit out of character for. Not out yeah, of character, but a bit out of out of where the scene was going. So um, that's give me your yeah. face, Prime. That is, yes, yeah, pretty much. Um, there were there were a few, there were just a, a few things where it seemed the like, like I said, the delivery of the line didn't match up with how they'd animated it on screen, and I feel like that's somewhat indicative of 
the the producers being unwilling to go back and redo one for the other. So and they like, really what? could have stood to turn down the vocal effects on a lot of the characters. It's true. Every every character had a little bit of processing to make them sound like a like a robot instead of um, instead of just having a voice attached to instead of just having a voice attached to um, to the, the the performance. Yeah. Yeah. And they've had that on and off since G one anyway. But to me, at least, there was for most of the characters anyway. There was just too much of it. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, so look, we, we, we've covered a lot of aspects of the production. We are actually coming up to just just sort of touching an hour. Um, let's let's wrap let's 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 aim to wrap it up. Um, were there some standout great moments and some standout terrible moments that you wanted to talk about um, from the show? Max, did you did you have anything that you uh, you thought was particularly good or particularly bad? I had uh, standout or, characters or, or particularly weird. Uh, so particular. Right, let's get particularly weird first. I would say uh, the last episode in general, um, just very rushed. Uh, especially uh, things that stood out to me were Astro Train and Omega Supreme, where mm. they make a big deal out of their appearance. Like Prowl looks up and it's like, oh my god, his Astro Train is huge. You know, it's this big dude. He's like, he's going to kill him or something, and he just walks off um, and doesn't say anything. And then you have Omega Supreme just appears out of nowhere uh good stuff so, so I, I i i feel like astro train um astro chain is fine um i think the characters i think the characters on screen presence is commensurate with how difficult it was to acquire an astro train in siege so he's barely <laughs> showing up in the toy line so he's barely showing up in the series and they will reissue astro train in earthrise so um, I think he'll have more of a part in that. As far as as far as Omega Supreme's appearance in the final battle goes, um, there's a lot of questions to be raised as to how Omega Supreme, who is a giant robot, can maneuver himself to appear under this structure, presumably from solid ground. Uh, the only apparent the only apparent um, solution to this is that Omega Supreme now moves around Cybertron like a sandworm from June. Right, let's call that canon. <laughs> That's Fair kind right. of an appealing notion in its own way, actually. Yeah, in, in, a, in a way, right? Imagine this sort of big rocket transforming and then swimming around under mm -hmm. the surface, you know? Um, weird things, good things, bad things. Keep going. Uh, good things were Ratchet. Obviously, he was definitely a highlight. Another, wait, another weird thing was that there was an entire toy of Mirage done up for a paint deco that lasts about 30 seconds. Yeah. I'm expecting that to be a plot point because there is a bit of faction switching going on during a show, but now it's just him in disguise for just like, yeah, half a minute. Um, good things. Ratchet was a definite highlight. Really enjoyed that take on a character. It's not someone I've really seen before for him. And this has just became one of the focal points of a show in a really solid way. Uh, yeah. I've, that's just well written, basically. I don't have much to say other than it was a good bit of writing. I have a sneaking suspicion that there will be a third wave of Netflix toys, and I think Ratchet will be one of them because he had a slightly different deco than his uh, regular Siege toy. So I think if you've missed out on getting a Ratchet, you might be able to get one in the Netflix series. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. He, I reckon he's going to be a bit of a fan favourite after that too. Um. Everything is Jetfire was basically 
Like, it's a plot line we've seen before many, many times across all different Transformers continuities with a variety of characters. But it was well-written, and I enjoyed his arc a lot. He was, he was one of her better-acted characters on the show, too. The way mm-hmm. his sort of mannerisms slowly change over the course of a show, I thought was quite good. And he just, yeah, he was... He just sort of provided this focal point of... And a bit of a... Whereas the show could tend to show the Decepticons as being just in... You look at someone like Shockwave, right? Um, most of the Decepticons, really, which is... You know, there's no grey area there. It's just like, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys. Uh, that take on Jetfire did serve to just had a little bit of grounding for the moral conflict between the two sides. I feel like I feel like the the bad guy has um, bad guy develops a conscience is something that we've seen a lot in media in the last decade or so. Um, I mean, obviously, there's there's a really big example in Star Wars with um, Finn, but um, yeah, it's. It's something that we did see. We we saw quite a bit in in this. Uh, Impactor and Jetfire both voiced their concerns that they didn't think they should be seeking to obliterate the uh, the other side of the conflict that they were fighting. Yeah, like, and it's it's yeah, like we were saying, it's not a very unique um, plotline at all. It's something that we've seen again and again and again throughout Transformers, but. When it's well written, it's well written, and it makes for a really enjoyable part of the show. Yeah, Daria, any um, any particular weird points or good or bad moments that you wanted to call out? Uh, one weird thing that sprang to mind while you were talking about the "We Are Not the Decepticons" scene earlier is that of the two Autobots who are contemplating the "Let's kill Bumblebee so he doesn't give us away" thing, one of them's Hound. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. It's a, it's almost it's almost one of the only real character moments for Hound. Hound is Hound features a lot in the show, but doesn't really seem to have a lot to do. I think. And of course, the other weirdness which has to come up sooner or later is Magnus and his cloak. And who, yeah. is, he, who is he fooling? Yeah, no. Look, look, we we should talk a little bit about Ultra Magnus. Ultra Magnus uh, is initially portrayed as uh, betraying the Autobots, uh, but does feed them intel about the Decepticons' plan once he is imprisoned in the Decepticon camp. After, despite his uh, apparent betrayal, after, after refusing to give up the location of uh, of the Autobots' ship, um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really it doesn't really explain why he has a different. Um, Different paint job in the Netflix spoiler box. Um, apparently, doesn't explain why there's a Netflix spoiler box. Well, apparently, so apparently it there was doesn't explain so, why spoiler box comes with rung. Well, there, so there was nothing underneath a um, underneath deluxe class in the show except for Laserbeak and Ravage. Um, the, the so apparently the spoiler box actually said on the outside, Ultra Magnus is dead. Is that was was that something that we knew? Because I didn't actually realize that. I completely missed that. That was a thing. Yeah, if that was actually a thing, I missed it entirely as well. Um, Same. Yeah. Uh, so uh, apparently, there's some Cybertronian that we need to look at on the the the, the Wave Two spoiler box. We'll find out. Um, yeah, uh, Ultra Magnus, a particularly particularly grotesque fate. Um, sort of being being killed, uh, unleashing the um, eventually ineffective Alpha Trion protocols, uh, which then got wiped from Bumblebee, so he doesn't know any, any of them. Um, 
and then having sort of having his body desecrated and used to spread a virus via um, techno babble. But yeah, um, yeah. There's a, like there's a there's a couple of a uh, couple of particularly particularly dark shots of his body sort of like um, suspended from the from the roof of his cell, very sort of you know uncomfortable un. Un, unnatural pose, um, bits of you know, bits of glowing things hanging out about him. Um, yeah, like it, like it's it's almost like sort of a, a light bit of body horror for uh, for the Transformers franchise. Yeah, he kind of reminded me of the Marvel version of Fortress Maximus in that to, while he was kind of initially betraying his cause, he was more in pursuit of a greater cause. In that he's like he's a bit. Yeah, Autobot, Decepticon, whatever. This war has just gone on far too long, mm. and of course, he rapidly found out that well, Megatron just wasn't into any kind of stopping the war that wasn't him obliterating everyone. So he turned back to Autobot cause. But in that regard, yeah, you could see he, you could see that character trait, which has not been part of him in some more recent portrayals of. He, he's no longer caring about winning the war. He just wants to end the war. Mm, yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, um, it's it, it's not specifically spoken in the show, but there's a lot of desperation. There's, I, I think a lot of the characters have realised that this is this is coming to the end of the war um, and as, as things sort of go about in the show. And the, so the Autobots are running out of Energon. Um, they don't have enough energy on to repair their repair their um, repair their ranks and replenish them, and uh, you know the Decepticons are really just sort of sick of sick of dealing with the Autobots and just want them gone as well. Um, the Decepticons have, as as we mentioned earlier, there's a sort of somewhat IDW style backstory to the universe where um, the Autobots used to be the ruling party on Cybertron and, um, you know, particularly mistreated, it seems, or, or didn't do a particularly good job of um, running a, a just and just and equal and fair society. And thus the Decepticons rose up and have almost completed the job of, uh, of overthrowing them and conquering them. And so whether or not that makes one side more right than the other, there is a point where Megatron points out to Prime where that um, by planning to take the AllSpark off world, he's he's dooming the planet. That's worse than Megatron was ever even planning to do. So, uh, will you know does does that actually make does that actually make Prime worse than uh, worse than Megatron? Um, there are a couple there are a couple of funny things that I picked up on. Um, I think was picked up on during the during the screening at our place. Um, uh, so as far as uh, as far as uh, repaints and recolors go, uh, Scrapface I don't think actually actually played a part, a significant part of anything in the show. They just seem to be refractor repaints everywhere. Uh, actually, not even refractors, just a refractor army, not even repaints. Um, so Scrapface didn't seem to do much. Decepticon Mirage was based on a thirty-second joke. Um, uh, Impactor is Impactor is actually. Yeah, if I see Impactor out there, I might be might be inclined to grab him. Actually, I didn't particularly care for him in Siege. Um, the when they went when they went to visit Soundblasters Soundblasters Lair in order to do the Energon the Energon heist, um, as they were going into the into the thing past the security checkpoint, um, they get scanned by one of the Impactor clones, um, who says that he's doing a weapons check, and then he lets them through. 
Cog literally transforms into a weapon, but past the weapons check. <laughs> so that was a bit weird. Um, the other thing I thought was a bit weird with the 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 plot to power the arc by um, stealing all the energon from Soundblaster. Uh, once they sort of went in and overpowered everyone and found the energon reserves, there's this room with just this pile of energon there. All they do is they pick up two pieces each and then run off with it. It's like it's like it's the most modest robbery ever. Sorry, we, we just need some stuff to power our ship. We, we only need this much. We're not. We're only going to take what we need. We'll, you know, it's like take it, take an energon, leave an energon, something like that. Um, so yeah, they made off with like five pieces of energon, and that was enough to power the arc. So if the if the arc runs out of energon sometime in Earthrise, you'll know whose fault it is. Um, yeah, it's like doing a bank job and holding up the bag and saying, "Put three hundred and thirteen dollars into that bag." I need precisely $313 to pay my bills this month. I'll be back next month. Um, yeah, so I thought that was a bit weird. Um, as I, I mentioned I mentioned Omega Supreme showing up in the end. I thought the, um, the Optimus trying to climb the outside of the building around the space bridge, um, that just seemed like a computer game. That's it's like that's going to be a level in the next Xbox game, right? Like It's like Super Cybertron Brothers or something. Um, and... One thing that I thought was a bit weird um, when the arc when the arc was powered up um, and uh, Alita One gave Teletran One the command to sort of you know clear clear the space around them. You saw this fantastic external shot where this large anime style sweep weapon just blasts out from the ship and rotates around and blows up everything around it. Right, like wipes out all of the Decepticons. And then as they go to take off, there's all the Decepticons standing on the ground shooting at the arc. So I was like. What what did you take out? You, you didn't you didn't actually take out anything. Maybe maybe they only took out all the ones that were shooting at them from above or something like that. But um, yeah, I'm not even seen... sure that beam actually clips through Astro Train as well. Mm -hmm. well nothing happens. Didn't see Astro Train again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we saw it in that shot, and that was that was one of the two shots you see him for. Yeah. Around this, you also get when. Red Alert falls in that pit and Elita's like, Red Alert, no! And about two scenes later, oh, he's... Okay. Oh, he landed. <laughs> he landed at the bottom of the pit, which was surprisingly not that deep. Yeah, he's just <laughs> kind of holding his side like, oh, a bit sore, I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I thought, so the other thing I thought was interesting, this would probably play into something for the rest of the series, was the the Allspark. Uh, there is, of course, the... Um, there is, of course, the... Uh, the saying that if the Allspark is removed from, from Cybertron, it will kill Cybertron. Well, the Allspark was removed from Cybertron and it didn't appear to kill it. In fact, if anything, the sunrise the following morning as the um, as sort of sun, the sun rose over the battlefield, it was a brilliant, beautiful sunrise. And if anything, it seems like it's improved things on the planet. I thought it was a metaphorical kill myself. Don't I? Well, so, but this is this is sort of you know we we we're used to Cybertron being portrayed as a dead world, so yeah, maybe it is more of a metaphorical. Don't know. Yeah, or not necessarily. Cybertron will dry up the second you take the the all spark away. But if you take the all spark away, there'll be no new energon. There'll be no new sparks. There'll be no new robots. There'll be no new power. So, in that sense, it's going to die. Not immediately. But taking it away does kill it. Yeah, maybe, maybe right. Maybe it's simply that they can't produce any new life on the planet with the Allspark being gone. That does I mean, sort of bring up the question of how they produce new life anyway. 
this has always been a problem with Transformers and, well, in a lot of versions of Transformers in that there's often just one way to make new Transformers and it's the Autobots have got it securely locked up, which seems remarkably unbalanced <laughs> and borderline unethical. So it, it is interesting on that. I, so just to, to sort of get away from Siege for a minute, um, James Roberts posted one of his... Um, one of his specs or for his um, sort of story or Bible ideas uh, a few months ago to Twitter sort of explaining explaining the logic behind uh, life being granted via the Matrix versus uh, a cold cast as um, mm. as they used to have in the in the old IDW universe it was a very very interesting read if you can if you can find it um, do do go check it out uh, I, I, I thought it was a really interesting read especially sort of in context of the fact that he wrote that before he Took over um, before he took on some of the writing duties that he took on, um, but yeah, like I, this I don't feel like this is going to be a series that really delves into that kind of thing. It's I, I feel like this is just more a case of right, well, you know, this is the setting that we're in, and here are the characters that we have. We're not necessarily going to, you know, I feel like it'll be like in in the G one cartoon where like new characters pop up for the purpose of selling their toys. Um, they may not necessarily um, be created or anything like that. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to chapter two, and there'll be, hey, it's me, Six Gun. I was standing just off camera for the, all the past events. Yeah, I, yeah, Six Gun, uh, Six Gun, also known as one of the one of the multicolored cogs who evolved or something. <laughs> you know. um, I think I, I just thought of probably... him because his box propping up my camera. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, it's, I, I think as far as We'll, we'll, we'll try to sort of bring it, bring it, bring it to a close, shall we? I think overall, um, this show ended up way better than I feel it almost had any right to be. It was way better than I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. It doesn't doesn't make it doesn't make it perfect. It doesn't necessarily make it you know amazing. And like, there's been a lot of people who are just like, oh my god, this was amazing because simply because it's new Transformers media. But I don't I don't think it was necessarily uh, amazing. I think it was good. Some parts of it, some parts of it tended towards great, but I think that's probably where I'd draw the line. Like I'd probably give it, yeah, maybe three and a half, maybe some sometime, sometime approaching four out of five. But uh, it's definitely, it's definitely not that close to perfection. How, how, about, how about you guys? Hmm? I would put it on the higher tier of Transformers cartoons. I have my fair share of issues of it, to be sure, but largely just. It, it, and it's nothing particularly remarkable, but as just an enjoyable, you know, two and a half hours of show, it's like, it's a really good time. It's a solid story. Um, and some, like, it's reasonably well acted. A character, a lot of the characters are really likable and engaging and the animation is just gorgeous. Um, obviously I've got my fair share of issues with the show. Um, but like, yeah, and it's it's far from perfect. It's not particularly remarkable, but I can't say I would ever call it a bad show. I think it's really it was genuinely pretty solid. And I think I agree. I mean, I think a lot of us were fearing another go to the same world that gave us Combiner Wars, and this is definitely not that. I I enjoyed it. There were there is room for improvement to be be sure, and we've just spent an hour and a bit talking about that very thing but i i enjoyed it i'm eager for chapter two i i enjoyed 
looking at it and listening to it, I was thinking about it afterwards. It didn't, it, so it prompted the sort of speculative thought space that usually means I've liked something that it, I'm prepared to wonder about it afterwards. So I think in that sense, it's it's done its job. I think anything. I also think it had a little bit to live up to being the sort of high-end animation six episodes that we waited two years for product, and that might colour some people's views. But I think in and of itself, yeah, job done. All right. I think that might do it for, for this week. Um, we do have a little bit of news that we might we might regroup on Friday and uh, and, and talk about. Uh, we'll see how we go. Um, yeah, so uh, we've been we've spent the last hour talking about the new War for Cybertron series that has hit Netflix worldwide. It is a six episode season. It did say at the end that chapters two and three are coming, so that's pretty much a, a three season show. Whether they're six episodes or not, we'll find out soon. Well, well probably not that soon. Um, you can, of course, find it on Netflix. And you can find all of us in the uh, Transformers, Club, Transformers Collectors Club Australia group on Facebook. Uh, we are a production of TCCA, a non-profit club registered in Victoria in, in the uh, lovely COVID-ridden state of Victoria in, in, in Australia. Um, <laughs> please, uh, please do, uh, I don't know, I feel like I should just say like and subscribe at the end of the video now or something um anyway uh we we are a weekly production if you are watching us as a couple of people have been while we've been recording um and uh yeah please do come and chat with us the the discussion group on facebook will have its spoiler moratorium lifted in about an hour and a half at the time of recording uh so as of sunday morning everyone's free to post spoilers and discussion threads as they see fit um do and do enjoy the show and uh yeah do come by do come by the uh, transformers collectors club australia group on facebook if you are not already in there and tell us what you thought of the show uh we might try to collect a few listener reactions and uh maybe do something more on the show in the coming weeks we'll see how we go all right um that is about it and uh yeah we will see you in another week or so's time goodbye night y'all catch you next week mm -hmm.